Thank you. It is great to be here. Crosswalk, welcome. I'm glad you're here. It feels a little odd to be welcoming you as the, the kind of the new guy, the guest, but welcome. If you're here in the room or if you're online, we're glad that you are here. I'm the lead pastor there in Chattanooga at our Chattanooga Crosswalk campus and also a part of the teaching team for Crosswalk Global. And it's a pleasure, a privilege to jump in here and to spend time in this, our fourth week in a series called Uncomfortable. Today, we have uncomfortable unity, uncomfortable unity. And maybe it, it feels like unity would always be comfortable, that that's what would, be, what would make it unity. But, um, you know, we're going to get into this a little bit. And I'd like to start by taking you to some of the last moments of Jesus' life before the cross. As he spends some time in prayer and he's talking, and I, I believe he's making kind of a dying wish as he comes to this conversation. And we find him here in John chapter 17. Jesus looks up to heaven and says, Father, the hour has come. It's go time. It's time. This is the end. In fact, he will say, now I am coming to you. And then he has a request. He has, and you know it probably. He says this, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who would ever believe in me through their message, not just for the disciples who quite honestly right now are snoozing off to the side, not just for them, but for all the crosswalk campuses, for anyone who claims the name of Jesus, for all of my people across time, I'm praying for something, and that something is unity. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. It makes me wonder if Jesus isn't intimating here. Our lack of ability to unite with one another would actually dent the perception, the possibility that others would believe that he is even God. And then goes on to say, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Is it possible, because we talk about loving well a lot, is it possible the lack of unity, our, especially if we're chirping at each other, if we're showing um, the kind of behaviors that, that really tear apart unity, if maybe that calls into question whether God loves me, whether God even loves you. And that unity somehow, in the midst of challenge and difficulty, even uncomfortable unity, could it be possible that even uncomfortable unity <clears throat> is a testimony to God? Uh, I don't know what it is that makes you feel comfortable. I have a handful of things in my life. There is a specific pair of sweatpants that if at the end of the day I end up in those sweatpants, I start to really feel comfortable. These are not sweatpants that are meant for any of you. These are just sweatpants that are for me in my home, my wife, maybe my kids. Maybe it's, uh, it's just sheer relaxation. I don't care if they're long enough. <laughs> they're comfortable. And they plead for me to place my feet into this one pair of slippers. Special thank you, shout out to my daughter, Alyssa, who went and got duplicate pair of slippers to have here <laughs> so that I would feel comfortable even when I travel across the country, I don't know what makes you feel comfortable. Maybe it is a certain food. We talk about comfort food. How many of you, just a certain smell of a certain food in just the right way, and you can transport yourself across time 
to being a child at Christmas. <laughs> or maybe it is a great cup of coffee that just makes you feel like, ah, this is good. I'm comfortable now. What, what makes you feel comfortable? I wonder. I, I'll admit to you, because I'm out here, been here for about a week, and have, I got one uh, rental car, and in two days, I, I had to take it back. I just, it was uncomfortable, and I returned it for a different car. I'm not going to try to disparage publicly what that car is, <clears throat> but one of the issues is just that I, I, I don't know if I have a weird body, but um, just sitting in a, a, a car seat and whether you can get it into the, you know, into the shape that you want. I love my, the, my car. We have two cars at our house and my wife drives a pilot mostly and, and, and the car that I have just to get the seat perfect. How many of you have gotten into your car Forgetting that somebody else drove it between the time you you last drove it and now, and somebody else has moved. They moved the seat, and it is uncomfortable. It is, and you know, maybe if you're tall, you're bouncing your head. Maybe if you're not, you're just swimming in there trying to find. And it takes really. Let's be honest about it. It takes a couple of minutes of just. Being irate to remember that there's a button you can push with the memory on it and get it back to the right spot. I, I tell you what, my bed at home, that makes me comfortable. Every other bed is just chasing how close or how far apart it is from the level of comfort of that bed. My own shower at home. No offense, Lissy, my neck is really clean these days because the shower is a little short. <laughs> I love my shower. What do you, as soon as you are there with it, what makes you feel comfortable? God's people? Oh, whoops. Now I got a question. Is it even, do you think even Jesus' goal here in this world to make us comfortable I heard a no and I heard a yes, and maybe that's fair. Yes and no. I know for some of us, we have, a tr we have trouble believing that God would want to be around us at all. And, and I think he would want us to feel comfortable with him and with his people. Some of us feel like it's our role to tell everybody else, not you. And I wonder if... Jesus might want to make us a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I think unity is a very uncomfortable idea because here's the problem. I'm pretty cool, but some, some of you, and I don't know if you've checked, but some of us. Well, and then, then I say something, or you say something. We're all, we could be okay until somebody starts to talk, and then it's like, oh my goodness, did you hear? I'm not sure it's even Jesus' goal to make us comfortable. It is his goal to make us unified, to bring unity. And that can be wildly uncomfortable. You know, we talked about John chapter 17 and Jesus' dying request, and it's only a couple of days earlier, right? You know, he's about to go to the cross, it's a couple of days earlier. Amidst all of this thinking that's probably swirling in his head about unity and what he'd wish for in us, that Mark tells us this story. 
Mark says Jesus comes to Jerusalem, he goes into the temple, and after looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Have you had that experience? Have you walked into a room in your house and you went, oh, not today. That's, I can't deal with all of that today. That's what it feels like to me because he's going to show up the next day and he's going to do some stuff. And it feels to me like he walks into the temple and he looks around and he goes, oh, oh, no. I'm going to need more time. And I wonder, as he shows up for your life and mine, no matter how put together we feel, no matter how long we say we have followed him or even have indeed followed Jesus, I wonder how many times Jesus shows up, opens the door of our life, looks in and says, this is going to take a little, this is going to take a little more time than we've got right now. Because Jesus will show up again probably next day. He enters the temple and he begins, you know this story, he begins to drive people out, people who are buying and selling animals for sacrifice, which actually, this is all a derivative of stuff that comes straight from Scripture, right? This is stuff they're kind of supposed to do. This is on the checklist of being a good Jew, a good God follower, as Jesus walks in and looks around and starts to drive people out and he's flipping over tables Coins are scattering, clattering around the room. Chair, he's throwing chairs. This Jesus of unity is also a Jesus of table flipping, right? Which is a weird juxtaposition in a short little time span. And I wonder, the Jesus who calls me to unity I wonder what is in my life, I wonder what is in your life that he would walk up and go, okay, this is going to take a full afternoon of flipping stuff over. And what is it that is consistent with the idea of calling us to unity that he would want to remove? So as he goes into that temple, these tables are table, tables of exclusion and barrier and exception and not you, not now, no. By the time these stories are told in all of the Gospels of Jesus kind of ripping apart the temple a little bit, rearranging his house, by the time he's done driving people out, it's the lame, it's the sick, it's the people who don't belong, it's the little children who come rushing in. A bunch of the lesser than, the people who don't stack up, the people who wouldn't be on the poster. It's fascinating to me. It's not just Jesus in the New Testament. Paul talks a good deal about this interesting element of comfort and being comfortable. I'm not sure it's actually God's goal for me to be comfortable fully or always. Yes, to gain comfort in coming in, but maybe no in my propensity to build up barriers from other people being able to come in. Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians, says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And you're going to need to read the rest or else you might think that what God is about is completely creating, it's a sweatpants thing that we're doing here. But it goes on to say this, as Paul writes, the one who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God and maybe the most audacious, provoking word in this whole little 
passage right here is the repetitive use of the word comfort, but don't miss how Paul couches it. He says, comfort, uh, the comfort in all our troubles. The Christian walk is not just one of comfort. It's comfort in trouble. In fact, you could take these, the original language of this passage and you could unpack it to say very faithfully, comfort in the middle of trouble. You could even, one way to unpack the language is comfort through trouble. Could it be that while God calls us to unity, he calls us to an uncomfortable sort? Unity that is not a matter of simply finding all the people who agree with me and believe like I do and think the exact same way and act like me and dress like me. But the kind of comfort that is uncomfortable, the kind of unity that flips tables over and says anything that's a barrier to walking to and with Jesus Christ, we will remove it here. And I wonder, does God use trouble even, discomfort to grow me? Maybe, in fact, Calling me to unity is his way of saying, Dave, I'm looking for growth in your life. And one of the ways I'm going to get it in your life is to bring people into your life who are so different from you. It's going to stretch you. It's going to blow a little bit of the wiring on occasion. It goes on to say, for just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. So know this, as we have unity, we have the discomfort. As we have comfort, we have trouble, we have suffering. It's, it's a paradox, this calling. To be a family, to be his body, it's an uncomfortable unity that God is calling us to. Is it possible that sometimes our desire for comfort keeps us from our calling. I can think about it. John, we were talking a little bit about professional experiences, right? And you can get into patterns that are comfortable. And it can feel so uncomfortable to step out of your patterns, to jostle free, to try something different. Sometimes it's a risk. And I think unity is a massive risk. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult. I even think that We might think the call to unity is something Jesus is asking us to do as a favor to him. But I wonder if his call to unity isn't his favor to me of helping me grow in ways that are more like him. And maybe uncomfortable unity is a part of his cleansing me of my dysfunctions just a little bit. In 1 Corinthians... Paul writes this, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony, another great word for unity, live in harmony with each other and let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose, be of one mind, be be of one mind. And I, I will tell you that the idea of unity over the last number of years, five, seven years in our faith community has been one that comes up an awful lot. And I've been in conversations with individuals who say, yes, the calling is for us to be of one mind and then watched as they demonstrated what they meant was the real challenge here for everyone is what you need to be is of the same mind as I am. One mind and it's mine. 
And what is, what is being of one mind? I wonder, I wonder if it's about being in absolute agreement and sameness of every little thing or if it is a deep commitment to the big thing that allows us to journey with one another while we sort out all sorts of things. There's a book called Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown. She discusses the challenge in today's day and age. It's a little, it's been around a little bit. She quotes some data from a book called The Great Sort by Bill Bishop, who discusses how our, our gravitation, our polarity, and coming to a, a desire to want to be around people of sameness is actually destroying us. And Brennan Brown, with some of his data and some of her own, talks about something like this. And she, she discusses that in 1976, if you can... If you can I'm tempted to ask how many of you were born by then, but we'll skip that. In 1976, during a presidential election, they measured, okay, so out of all the counties in the United States, how many of those counties were a landslide for one of the candidates or the other? Meaning that way more than 50-50, in fact, in some studies, they're measuring how many had at least 80% of the vote go to one candidate, but we'll call it landslide counties, less than 25%, less than a quarter of our country lived in counties that were landslide counties. Scroll forward to 2016, election between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. By then... By now, 80%, over 80% of Americans live in landslide counties in the United States. Well, that, I guess, would be a good thing, right? Be around people who think like you. Think like me. No. During that same stretch of time, data sharing the levels of loneliness we experience have skyrocketed. Turns out being around people that are just like me is getting ever so close to just only being with me. And depression more than doubles during that time. Mental health issues. Could it be that one of the blessings and the beauties of humanity in Christ is that we would be with people who stretch us and push us and think differently than ourselves? And that God's call to unity is not a call to sameness. It's not a call to similarities of every sort. It's not a call to uniformity and conformity. I think about Paul and the early Christians. They ended up in a lot of conversations back and forth. And we'll go take a look at some of his comments about a specific subject and the reaction to it. The subject is circumcision. I don't know how often you've been talking about that in your daily just conversations. But for the, for the Christian church in Jerusalem, Judeo-Christian church in Jerusalem, circumcision was a big deal. It had to do with dedicating your heart to God and being one of his. And this is, un, this, you, this is not negotiable. And I, frankly, they could take you to passages of scripture to point this out. And so there's a big argument because Paul has begun saying, nah, not so much. He'll say some weird stuff, actually. 
often with a bit of humor that has a bite to it. Do you guys do the bee sting coffee here? Do you do the bee sting? Yeah, so it has a little, has a little bite. You gotta, you gotta know it's coming, right? So Paul, Paul will say, Paul will say, hey, look, if you're that big into circumcision, just cut it all the way off. Do it. <laughs> look, I'm not saying that. That was pa- Paul said that. So you have the Christians who are Gentiles who have come to Christ in many cities. Uh, and then you have the Jerusalem church, and they're in a bitter argument back and forth. And you know how they end the argument? Paul essentially says, hey, Jerusalem church, you do you. Knock yourselves out. Go for it. Just don't say we have to also. I just want to challenge you. If your faith has a bit of the flavor of telling people what they have to do, maybe we should tone that down and walk and step fully into the uncomfortable place of saying, I don't, I don't, here's where I stand on this issue, but I, and I see you stand in a different place. And you know what? I think what we should do is just walk together. Because when it comes right down to it, the big, big deal for me is Jesus. And he says that I'm to be a part of a body where we're all different pieces and parts. And I don't even know to what full extent he's going to take that. I just know this. I'll always be safe with people who are submitted to Jesus. Yeah. I know, I, you know, I, I, think, I think we can survive one another's differing opinions. If in the end, you and I are both submitted to Jesus Christ. I know for a fact he's working on me, doing stuff in me. And if you're submitted to Jesus, that's true for you too. I think we'll be safe. You know, uniformity is often based on very clear guidelines of exactly what you must do, how you must do it, what you have to say, and that you would follow through with that. The problem is that if we're going to have a really super clear list of things, we're probably going to have to have someone explain to us exactly what that list is. Usually, uniformity requires a principal or a board that decides at our school you have to wear this exact uniform, right? We have these rules you have, and so sooner or later, you got to come up with the committee or the, well, there are portions of our Christian faith that have set things up with a very singular person at the top of this whole pyramid who says what you must do or else you're not allowed to be one of us. Woe to us if the person at the top of that pyramid is not Jesus. And it should concern us when a human being says, do as I or get out. That's a problem. See, unity is not based on what happens out here. Unity is based on something deep inside. Unity is based on trust. And trust, and you can violate one another's trust. I can violate your trust. You know, my family is here, and that's such an awesome thing. We're here uh, for two reasons, big reasons. Of course, we were coming out here, wanted to try to orchestrate it to work right, because our middle daughter is uh, celebrating a birthday this last week. So we all got out here in time to celebrate the birthday. 
And, <clears throat> and, uh, and then we're going to go for Thanksgiving up to the Redwoods and spend time in a, in a, a, a house, an Airbnb. Here's what I know. Along the way, we're going to irritate each other. It's not going to be me. It's not going to be my fault. And you all know what I'm talking about. We don't all think the same way, think the same thing, practice the same behaviors. And that's not what our family will ever be based on. It's based on trust and a commitment to love each other, no matter what. And I believe that is the call to unity of the Christian faith. To love well. And I want to suggest to you, If you practice the kind of love that loves if, that loves when, that has requirements to your love, it's not the love of Jesus. Jesus' love loves now. Loves before. Loves when you are messing up. Loves when you are confused and when you are wrong. And he calls us to that same kind of love and that kind of unity that is bound around a commitment, a submission to him, and a willingness to walk with each other. I think this is fascinating. This is also in response to the conversation around circumcision, which had been really fired up for a while. And Paul says, let all who are spiritually mature, (laughs) I'm not sure if he's really kind of doing a little dig there, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point... I believe God will make it plain to you. Think about that strategy. (laughs) I'm coming. (laughs) Sorry for those of you online, that's deep cut. You're not going to know. Think about this strategy. Some people believe Christianity is about calling to be the body of Christ in the sort of way that if you're confused on something or if we disagree on something, I will make it plain to you. And Paul says, no, 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 no. God will make it plain. Let's flip the tables of barrier over. Let's, let's pull down the little cordoned off areas. Let's open wide and welcome big and let's love well now and let God Communicate with us. And if you're the one who thinks you're the only one who is not wrong about things, well, we're even going to let you in. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult. Things were fine when it was just me. Ah, not really. It's a problem when it's just you. So now we're going to live in the problem of welcoming others in. And the challenge that God is going to work through with us 
There were other arguments, not just circumcision. There included arguments about what you could eat and what you could drink. And sometimes it was about the exact food and whether diet could, could really sustain this kind of decision making. But often it was actually about worship also, what food you ate because it had been offered to idols and all this kind of stuff. And so Paul, as he nears the end of the book of Romans, which is amazing, he in the 14th chapter says some stuff that's kind of interesting. He says, each of us will give a personal account to God, not you know, we need to be accountable to each other, but our accountability to God is a huge, huge piece of this conversation. So let's stop condemning each other. I think that's what Jesus is flipping over, is the barrier to entry into God's call, God's worship, God's place, God's invitation, and expectations that not everybody could meet. Or He casts all that aside, and Paul says, let's stop condemning each other. In fact, decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall, but to walk together. In fact, the instead that you won't cause somebody to fall, it's, 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 it's not even just walking along and watching somebody fall. I didn't do it. But being the kind of place, the kind of people, the kind of church that somebody who's staggering could hold on. Don't tear apart the work of God over these things. Do you suppose we have some of these things that we would be tempted to tear the work of God apart over? No, it's just them. They, them, them. Oh, it's a part of the human struggle. It's a part of our journey too. And Paul says, look, 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 look. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourselves and God. And <laughs> I don't have courage to just say this on my own. I had to put it on the screen so you'd know for sure this is not me. This is not Pastor Dave saying this. This is Paul. What Paul is saying is, look, you may have done a bunch of Bible study on a certain thing about prophecy or on a way that you should eat or dress or live and be super convinced about it. Hey, why don't you just keep that between you and God? Wow. By the way, how freeing would that be? To know I'm called to believe deeply, to live in harmony with all God is talking to me about, and in harmony with you, even if you're living a tiny bit differently than me, that we can walk together, and it's not my job. I'll let God do that. And I'm not necessarily going to just come full-on force forward. Christianity has a reputation for telling a bunch of people the answer to questions they never asked us. <laughs> while living often in violation of our response. Why would the world listen to that? You may think Paul is primarily talking here about how you behave. I think he's especially commenting on how we speak truth. And he's saying, hey, 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 a little less, please. How about, how about we demonstrate what it's like to walk together, even when you're confused, to love one another, even when it's uncomfortable, to be together, even when it wasn't my idea. So we'll close his book of Romans 
this way. They say, may God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony, not complete uniformity, not complete conformity, in harmony, loving each other well because we love now, we love before. Not if. In harmony, as is fitting for followers of Jesus. And then, then, then you can give praise with one voice. Then you can sing it out loud and it actually sounds right. It's not some hypocrisy. Then you can give praise that is a glory to God, our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, therefore, accept each other just as Jesus Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. God is given glory when we accept others. So crosswalk, wherever you're watching this from, God calls us to the kind of unity that is most characterized by the behaviors of acceptance of others. And for those of you that walked in here, not sure what you were gonna find or maybe pretty certain you knew what you were gonna find, but you're here because of duty or habit or couldn't figure out how to turn down the invitation or maybe you got in here purely by accident got in here and we're not intending and kind of looking around going, oh. And then it got weird enough that you couldn't back out. However you find yourself here, know this, the God of the universe accepts you. It is the clarifying, identifying factor of who he is. Oh yeah, he's probably got growth in mind for you like he does for me. But his number one characteristic is love when it is uncommon. Love before you deserve it. Love. So Lord God, however we arrive, see us for who we really are and accept us no matter who we really are. Lord, would you in, infect this place? Each of us, we volunteer for it. Would you give us the life-changing characteristic of loving so completely that it creates unity, that it pulls together, that it walks through difficulty, that it matters not when there is trouble, that we are a support to each other, that we are your body. And Father, help us to live in contrast to the judgments, to the pain-inducing forms of Christianity that drive a wedge and erect tables between you and the people who want to come to you. So bless us today as we worship and for that one who does feel alone. Lean in. 
so that as we sing, it would really be true. That no matter what, we need not walk by ourselves and walk alone. So we're yours. Amen.